3: Listening to the
4: Vox Media Podcast Network.
3: Well, hello there, everybody. It is Thursday, July seventh, twenty twenty two, and it is indeed. A heck of a morning live here on the MMA Fighting Twitter Spaces and shortly thereafter on the MMA Fighting Podcasting Network. Hope you're all having a lovely Thursday. I am Mike Heck. Thanks for joining us once again. There is a lot to discuss. We are still dealing with the aftermath, the hangover, if you will, from UFC 276 this past Saturday in Las Vegas. Israel Adesanya and Chris Pratt getting after it a little bit. Seems like cooler heads have prevailed there. Darren Till no longer fighting at UFC London. Chris Curtis stepping in to fight Jack Hermanson. John Jones getting after it with Adesanya, with Nganu. Conor McGregor's tweeting about everything and everybody. There's just so much going on. We have unretirements. We have... UFC Vegas 58 coming up this Saturday. There's just a lot going on. A lot going on. So if you missed it yesterday, uh, I mean, you probably watched the MMA Hour, everything going on. You heard from Pedro Munoz. You heard from a number of the tastemakers from that card. And one thing you may not have found out about last night is Jimmy Flick is coming back. How about that? What? Just a, an extremely short retirement. He retired in April of last year, and now it is July about 15 months later, and Jimmy Flick is coming back. He is coming back. UFC know that he is returning, that he's reentering the USADA testing pool. The man's coming back to fight, and I'm going to get more information on that in about two hours from right now. I'm going to be speaking to Mr. Jimmy Flick to get his thoughts about everything, what led to the decision to come back. Just a wild thing, but he's coming back. So the flyweight division gets a little bit of a boost. And you know what? I'm just going to stop yapping. I mean, I'm not going to stop altogether, but I'm going to stop sort of leading the dance. I'm going to let you guys lead the dance. So if you guys have questions, anything you want to talk about, request. Let's get after this thing and kick things off with Don. Dodd-Hardin. Hey Mike,
5: how you doing, buddy? Man, heck of a morning. Hope you're doing well. Glad to hear you sound way more rejuvenated than the last time. But it made <laughs> sense though. You was going. You had a lot going on. But um, so a couple things, man. I'm gutted that Darren Till is not uh is not fighting on the London card. I felt like the stars was aligning perfectly. You're in London. It was. It would have been a tough fight regardless. But uh, I felt like he just needed that win, man. But I'm still excited that. I mean, Chris. Curtis, what? The, what? Like, how you feel about that? Um, and like, are you? Is, did your excitement level go up more because of that? Um, and also, man, just a quick—I don't know how often you know how you can you can cuss on this jar or not, but that stuff that Sean O'Malley did with uh, Pedro Muniz is goofy, man. It's no different than um Kobe dapping up Usman in the in the octagon and then be like, "Oh man, he I'm what? That man is trash!" Like, you know what I mean? It's like I get it. In terms of like selling the fight and stuff, but like, bro, if you're not if you're not 100% gonna just rematch that guy off of it, then don't then don't talk anymore about it. like uh like a similar thing when Leon poked uh, Bilal in the eye. Like, granted, you know what I mean. We we wanted him to take the rematch, some of us, but he was just like, no, nah, I don't want to take the rematch. See, I rather you pick a stance. Like, if you Sean, I know Sean's like kind of on the fence. He's like, oh, I kind of want it back, but like all this shit about saying you stopped them and like being like, oh. You know, you're in the you're in the octagon being like, oh my bad, bro. But then you out in the media being like, nah, man, that dude, he he he, like, come on, man, that that shit is goofy, man. I don't I don't know what your take is on that. And the last thing I wanted to say is Israel, man. Before when that stuff happened, I was I was like a lot of people, I was like, man, only because he hyped it up so much so that he was gonna, you know. But then I got to thinking about it, like Floyd. You know, a lot of people don't like Floyd. Floyd sold his fight easy just by saying one thing. I'm not going to lose. So I feel like if Izzy, granted, don't have to do anything. He a champ. He can do whatever he wants. He can say whatever he wants, per, you know what I mean, per se, when it comes to fights. But I think, what do you think about Izzy, like, selling himself like Floyd, being like, look, man, I do what I want. If you can't stop it, you can't stop it. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, hey, man, appreciate you uh, doing this show as always, man. Two sweet day. Heck of a morning, all that, man, for life. You already know.
3: Thank you, Don. A lot to unpack there. One, I'll start with the first thing. Yes, it's it definitely stinks that Darren Till is not fighting UFC London. I think he was probably, even though it wasn't the main event, I think he was probably the one that we were the most curious about to see how he would perform, how it would all play out, if he was sort of rejuvenated. And unfortunately, it looks like if you check out his, his Twitter page, some sort of a knee injury, trying to get some more information, but that's basically all we have right now is just that quick video of just blood and, or whatever being taken from his knee. So it's unfortunate. However, Chris Curtis steps in, and I spoke with Chris last week on Radio Row, and the man was fired up. And a lot, it makes a little bit more sense because I wanted the Chris Curtis-Nassardine-Imovoff fight. And they matched up Imavov with Joaquin Buckley for that Paris card, and I was like, "This, I was like, okay, sure, but like this is Chris Curtis's fight. That that's a Chris Curtis fight all day. And now it makes more sense because now Chris Curtis gets Jack Hermanson, and it's actually a, a little bit of a bigger deal. It's in, it's in London. It's a top ten guy, and I love the fight. And a lot of people, if if you check out social media, a lot of people from I guess an entertainment perspective from a stylistic perspective, they actually prefer this fight over the Darren Till fight. I don't know from like a intrigue from like an intrigue perspective. I don't necessarily agree with that, but Chris Curtis absolutely deserves that opportunity and the man's going to get it. So good on him with the Sean O'Malley thing. I, I don't know. I, I, you have to kind of ask him about it. I, I'd love to to get his thoughts. I know we just we basically just got the sort of immediate aftermath of everything when he did his post-fight scrum. And I think he was just a little bit down in the dumps about it. I don't know. I, I think he hasn't handled it all that great, but he's kind of planting seeds for whatever could be next. I'm curious what the UFC is going to do with this. Are they just going to rebook it or are they going to move on from it? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. There's a part of me that just, like, for for Pedro's sake, yeah, rebook it. Give him the opportunity. It's not really his fault, right? But on the same token, I'm kind of intrigued about a Sean O'Malley-Henry Cejudo fight. Just because I want to see Henry fight somebody before he gets a title shot. So, I don't know. Sean, uh, it's an unfortunate way to end the night. But at the same token, Sean's got options. And it just sucks. It just sucks. But the, the main thing about this all is that Pedro Munoz deserves apologies for pretty much everybody. He's getting chastised for essentially something that wasn't his fault. It's dumb. The reaction to the whole thing has been dumb. And hopefully after hitting Pedro, because Pedro took the high road on the M.A.R. yesterday, he could have sat there and just blasted Sean O'Malley and called him a cheater and called him all this other stuff. Yeah, he was asked about Sean's reaction to everything, and he wasn't overly pleased with that. But at the same token, he still took the high road after all this. Pedro Munoz is one of the nicest guys in the entire sport, one of the best guys in the entire sport. And he could have definitely taken this in a whole different direction, but he chose the Pedro Munoz way and just kept it classy, took the high road the whole way, and we'll see what happens if they rebook this or if they go a different direction. But either way, I just hope at some point, Pedro Munoz will get the opportunity to fight Sean O'Malley again. And I think he deserves it, whether it's next or down the road. At some point you got to throw those two guys together. And then with the whole Adesanya thing, it's, it's again, that's a guy who got too much flack. And I understand he's trying to sell a fight. I get it. But at the same token, sort of going with the Floyd comparison. If you're fighting Floyd Mayweather, you're not just gonna like go in there and box Floyd. Like you have to try to you have to try to make him uncomfortable. You have to try to take the title off of him. You have to try. Like you have to try to do something that makes him uncomfortable. Jared Cannonier did not do that. He didn't do it at all. All he did was basically just give Israel the fight he is most comfortable with. I'm sure after Israel, he would he would have been prepared for that. Hundred percent. And I think that's what Israel was kind of hoping for, was that Canada would make it. He heard all the narratives. Izzy's a smart guy. Got to make it dirty. You got to turn it into a brawl. That's your best chance. You got to do what Kelvin Gastelum tried to do. Because Kelvin gave Israel really his toughest test because he went after him and tried to make it a dogfight. and almost beat him. Gave him hell. That fifth round from Adesanya is just a championship heart round to win it. And air didn't do that. He turned it into a mid-range point kickboxing fight. Yeah, at, at certain times he tried to take Adesanya down. Yeah, at certain times he tried to put him up against the fence. But he didn't make the fight dirty. He just turned it into a kickboxing match. And we're blaming Adesanya for that? Come on, man. That's just a bad take. I don't think Adesanya deserves the blame whatsoever. Yeah, he's trying to sell a fight. You're spending 75 bucks. I get it. You're a little bit disappointed. And you have a right to be disappointed. But to sit there and blame Adesanya for that? Is just not right. Again, I made this comparison before. It's like if Steph Curry has a wide open three, but Steph Steph promised, you know what? They're going to be double teaming me at the three point line, so I'm probably not going to take any threes. I'm just gonna I'm going to take the ball to the hole. I'm going to challenge the center. But if you're giving Steph a wide open three, what's he going to do? Not take it. And that's exactly what Adesanya had. He had an opportunity to just win, and he also understood that what lies ahead is much bigger than this Cannoneer fight. Yes, the people at the arena left early, but at the same time, he knows that this fight with Alex Pajeda is way bigger. It's a way bigger fight. And it will be massive, and I'm super curious how that will play out. Super curious to see how Pajeda handles himself in the championship spotlight, because what I've seen from Alex Pajeda so far, super impressive, nothing rattles this guy, the lights don't seem too bright, but we'll see how he handles it with the belt in the line. More obligations. The lights even brighter upon him. So I can't wait for that fight whenever it happens. Let's go to Zach.
6: Zach, how are you? Great. Yes, awesome. sir. Heck of a morning, and I uh, just wanted to say, great job in Vegas last week. Seemed like a lot of fun. A um, few points and one question. So I'll start with the question. First question: um, Drake's do play C. Very impressed by him, especially because he looked. Like pretty gassed throughout the whole fight, but put out a ton of output. And you talked about Imoval already. Those two guys seem like at 13, 14 right now. Out of those two kind of up-and-comers, close to title contention, which two guys do you think could actually get to the... Which out of those two guys can get to the title, you think? Um, who has the best shot there? Um, and then the two points I have. First one, uh, you end of the show with the whole Uriah Faber-Josh Emmett thing. I do think uriah has to put a little more blame on himself i feel like a guy who always gets put on camera during those pay-per-views always sits up close he probably could have helped out his buddy there i know he was coaching but he probably could have you know secured him a seat closer if he really wanted to so uh thought that there and then the last one actually goes back to Otno, and uh you know we like calling you know you guys hold people accountable with their picks calling them doo. and one pick that i did not hear that was held accountable was the uh Ian Gary, uh, Andre Fiala picked that AK kind of like strongly agreed on. And, uh, I believe those guys do train at Stanford MMA together, Stanford MMA together. So, you know, had to, uh, give that one a, a quick shout out, but thanks Mike. And, uh, hope you have a great morning.
3: Thanks Zach. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. Like we try, like we, we try to be cool with the doo doo, especially the training partners one. I mean, if it's obvious, what was the one? Um, Tiago Moises and Grant Dawson. Like, if you pick Tiago Moises versus Grant Dawson coming out of Moises' last win, that's kind of doo-doo because Moises was literally, I want to thank my coaches, my team, Grant Dawson. This guy standing right over here, 15 feet away from me. See this guy? See this guy, Grant Dawson? The guy who got me ready for this fight? That guy. Thank you, Grant Dawson. The guy standing right next to me. That's kind of dude. The other stuff. We bring it up here. We bring it up once. If you bring it up again, then it becomes kind of doo doo, on that sense. Yeah, the Faber, the the, the Josh Emmett thing is is crazy because I kind like I kind of get where they're coming from. Like Faber is Faber's doing what Faber's supposed to do as a manager and a coach and a, in some ways a, a cheerleader, but never want like has it once been said by anybody outside of Josh Emmett that Josh is the next guy? Has it been said by anybody from an official capacity? No, no. So like when, when people are saying that Josh Emmett's going to be here, like even John Ennick was like, Josh Emmett is going to be there. Maybe he sits cage side. No one has, no one said he's the guy. Most people felt he didn't even beat Calvin Cater. So while I understand like what he wants and feels like he deserves, it's not like it's not like the Alex Pajeda situation. Like Alex Pajeda, when he knocked out Sean Strickland, we knew where this was going. We knew he was fighting out the winner of that fight. Batasanya won. We knew that's the fight. So they sat up cage side. Here he is. Here's Alex Pajeda. You have to put him on camera. Josh Emmett being there does nothing because he's he's not the guy yet. Now, if Brian Ortega goes out there and beats Yair Rodriguez on July 16th, and Alexander Volkanovsky is not planning on going to 155 for his next fight, sure, there you go. But this is not an open-and-shut case. It's not. And I, Faber's doing what he should be doing. But at no point has anybody, has Dana White, anybody from an official capacity said, Josh Emmett, good win, your next fight's for the belt. No one has said that. So for him to assume that he's just going to get a cage-side seat and get put on camera for that fight, it's crazy. It's crazy. Faber's doing it right, but I'm not blaming the UFC for this at all. I mean, who knows? There's only a few people that really know. Maybe Josh has text messages or something that says, yeah, man, you're going to sit cage-side. We'll make sure it happens. We'll make sure we get you on camera from somebody high up in the UFC. But I haven't seen that yet. I haven't seen that yet. And if I do see it, then I'll be happy to come on here and say that I was wrong. But no one has said that Josh Emmett is the guy. No one has said it. And I don't believe he is the guy, especially if Yair wins on July 16th. Yair wins. They're doing Volkanovski-Yair if Volkanovski stays. Like, Yair's the guy. Emmett will be on deck if something happens. Or if Volkanovski does go to 155, you could do Emmett versus Yair for an interim title or something just to to kind of keep the seat warm for Volkanovsky. But other than that, I don't know. I I just... Good on favor. You're doing what you're supposed to do, but I don't blame the UFC for this whatsoever, unless there's something that I don't know. If there's something I don't know, then I'll be happy to say that I'm wrong. But just outside looking in, this is what I see. Terms of the middleweight division, Duplessis and Imovov, hmm... I'm high on both guys. I think both guys could be title contenders for sure. From a stylistic perspective, I would say Emovoff is probably a little bit ahead of Duplessis, but in terms of who the UFC would be likely to promote stronger, probably Duplessis. One speaks perfect English. He's got a personality. He's a delightful human being. The dude ain't tiny. Looks good coming off the bus. Imovov, I'm just very high on from a, just a a fight style. Guy's real good. He's real good. This fight with Chris Curtis is interesting. I think Imovov just getting hurt before his last scheduled outing really stung a little bit, halted a little bit of momentum, but, you know, now he's back against Joaquin Buckley, and it's a big deal. I think I said Chris Curtis. I didn't mean to say Chris Curtis. Chris Chris, Chris Curtis is fighting Jack Ramanson, but you know what I mean. But I'm high on both guys. I think from a F- X's and O standpoint, I think Imavov probably has the higher ceiling. But in terms of star power, I got to go with DDP on that one.
7: Let's go to Rel. Heck of oh, no, a good morning, up? Mike. How you doing?
1: I'm good. good? Doing?
7: So just a few things I wanted to touch on. So I, I know you probably heard have so called out Pereira. I wonder what that's all about. Maybe it's like a spotlight thing you know get the spotlight on me even though tamayev already has spotlight i I think that might be that and have you heard anything about the ferguson khabib ultimate fighter coaching thing because i i watched the schmo yesterday with tony ferguson and he missed he mentioned it so i just wanted to ask if you knew a little bit more about that and then i'm i'm kind of I'm I'm a, I'm kind of big on Raphael Faziv. I know he's fighting this week. I really think like at 155, that's somebody I think we need to pay a lot more attention to, especially with the way his standup is. I think he has some of the best standup in the whole division. And and the whole it. Div- like his more retired, his striking is precise, it's quick. His 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 it seemed like he moves at angles and counters people really good. Like some somehow like both, you know. And then the last thing. The whole Izzy and Jared thing. I don't. I don't like how people was trying to blame either. I don't blame either or. I think it was. I don't have to. I don't need them to go in there and be like Don Fry and Yoshiro talking. I don't need that. Like I don't. That was. That was in two thousand. Like we don't need them to go in there, and just grab each other's head and just get the punching. I like the technical aspect. Figure out your opponent. Try to get in. Could it have been more action? Yes, but I'm not asking for them to go in there and just punch each other out. That's not how you find a champion. There's levels to it. And I think that that's what happens when you when you're at the top. You gotta find a way to win instead of just going in there and punching like a robot. Thank you. Have a good morning. Thanks, man. So I'm trying to there's a lot to unpack here.
3: The Shemiah thing is probably just listen, Connor does it all the time. When something's gaining traction, Connor jumps in, Nate jumps in, creates headlines, keeps your relevance. That's probably what that was all about. Shemayev's probably not getting that fight. Shemayev's got other things to worry about, especially at 170. So, it's probably just what it was. Please talk about me. No one's talked about me in a while, you know what I mean? That's where I'm going. Fazeev is real good, man. But this is is exactly... this This is the fight that needs to happen. Not just because they have similar names and we can... The loser has to change their name to something else, which I love that stipulation, by the way. But this is a great test for Rafael Fazeev. Can he go five rounds? What's going to happen when he faces RDA who can shoot takedowns and can really make things uncomfortable comfortable for him, take him out of his elements a little bit? He's a tremendous striker. Fazeev's got great power, tons of energy. The dude's fun to watch. But when you throw... Guys who are fun to watch in there with guys like RDA, RDA can stifle people. He's made a career on stifling guys like that. So I'm curious to see what happens, especially if this fight gets extended. Rounds four, round five. How is Fazeev going to handle it? Can the gas tank hold up? Especially against a former champion. It's a big opportunity. Now, if Fazeev passes this test, boy, oh boy, we got something big here. We got something cooking with, with, with Fazeev. I will sort of disagree with you on your Adasanya cannonair take. No one is asking for Cannonair to throw, to jump off the top of the cage and do a double axe handle and just do something out of the ordinary. No one's really No one's asking for that. But at the same token, you playing right into the champion's hands is just not a good strategy. And then at the end of the fight, to have all the onus placed on Adasanya. Is just silly, in my opinion. You have to go in there and try to take the butt- you have to take the belt off the champion. I was asked about this a lot on the post fight show. What is wh- what needs to happen? What needs to change to make Adesanya more exciting? He needs a guy who's going to try to fight him, He's, who's going to try to take the title off of him. And I think Alex Baheta could be that guy. I think Alex presents different challenges, and I think I'm just I, it's just super curious in my eyes how Adesanya is going to approach a fight with a guy who has two wins over him. And I know both of those fights are, were somewhat competitive, and I know most people look to the knockout in the second fight as, oh, is he got bolted by Pajana. And there's a little bit of truth to that, but before that, it was competitive, and the first fight was super close. But still, there's something a little mentally taxing about getting in there with a guy who holds two wins over you. And, and Pajana's not rattled by the situation at all. Like I've said this before about Canadier, and I truly mean this. I think Canadier was, I think Canadier was beat on Wednesday at the media day. I think the spotlight upon him was a lot. I think he was a little uncomfortable at the press conference. I just think all of it was just a little much for him. Everybody wants to be the champion. Everybody says they want, they want to be the champion. And then you kind of realize what comes with that. The responsibility, the weight that being a UFC champion holds like how much that all weighs. And I think by Wednesday, being at the media day for 15 minutes and then sitting at a press conference with Izzy and, and getting fair questions in a lot of ways and just refusing to answer them and and refusing to sort of open up a little bit about what you are feeling, like. I get that works for some people, but you have to be comfortable in there. You have to deal with it. And I felt like, I felt like at the end of the media day Wednesday, I was like, oh boy, I felt like this fight was going to be really competitive. But after the press conference, I was like, oh boy, this, this is probably not going to go very well for Canada. He's a little overcome by the moment. I'm not blaming him for that. There are many fighters who have been in that same situation that get in there. They go through the media day. They go through all the obligations and everything that comes with being one half of a main event. And it just becomes a lot. And you're just like, oh. This is not what I thought it was going to be. I'm not saying it took away, but sometimes that gets in your head a little bit. And I felt like from a mental standpoint, Candidair was kind of rattled before the fight even started. And we kind of saw that in the performance. It's not easy being a main eventer. It's not easy being a champion. I, it, it really is the toughest thing. It's so hard seeing Usman and Adesanya and Volkanovsky and, all these guys have to defend their titles over and over and over and over again try to get everybody's best. It's not, it's so hard to do. It's so hard to do. But once in a while, you get a Yuri Prohashka who comes along who's just such a wild man and can deal with all that and find a way to deal with the adversity that, that, that being a champion brings and being a challenger brings. Some people just don't care about it and can fight through it. Others can't. That's it. That's the way I look at it.
0: We're this close to crowning an NBA champ, and with the action heating up on the court, it's even hotter at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code VOX MMA. That's code VOX MMA for new customers to get a no-sweat bet up to fifteen hundred bucks
1: if your first bet doesn't hit. Only on DraftKings, the crown is yours
4: Atlassian. Let's go to
3: Viking MMA. Then we'll go to Chris. Then we'll go to Vinny. And round and round we go. Viking, hello. Hey, buddy. My brother.
8: Alexander Lee, my brother. Jared Nishu, my brother. What's Mm, I just want to know about Hamzat Chimayal's wrestling and do you think that he has that kind of wrestling, I mean the Dagestani kind of wrestling and how good is he in that area of wrestling and the other thing I want to know, could you please spread a light on the terms? Loki banger and gatekeeper for me. Thank you.
3: Loki banger for Saturday?
8: I just don't know anything about the term Loki banger.
3: Oh, Loki banger. Okay, okay. And gatekeeper. Thank you, Viking MMA. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, and gatekeeper. Okay. Uh, So Shabayev yeah, his wrestling's tremendous. It's ridiculous. His top game is ridiculous. His striking's really good too. And sometimes when you're a great wrestler and then you realize how good of a striker you are, sometimes you fall in love with that. We've seen fighters fall in love with that before. Shabaev is just a freak and is good at, all, at pretty much everything. He's a tremendous wrestler. If Shabayev just wanted to wrestle his way to wins all the time, he could do it. He's that good. The terms that we low-key bang or gatekeeper. So gatekeeper is essentially, and I know like oftentimes it's used as like in a negative connotation, but I don't like, like Neil Magny. Neil Magny is like the perfect definition of a gatekeeper. And it's not in a disrespectful way. Like Neil Magny's really, really good, but he's not a guy that is probably going to fight for a world title. But it's also a litmus test, it's a proving ground. Like for Shavkat Rachmanov, him fighting Neil Magny was perfect matchmaking. Because if he beat, if Shafgat Rachmanov beats Neil Magny, then you know you have something. Then you know you have a guy who's a top 10, top 5, could be a guy who fights for a title. You beat Neil Magny, that means something. That means a lot. Neil's really good, not a title contender, but Neil is a great test. And there's lots of fighters like that, like in multiple divisions, who are quote-unquote gatekeepers, where if you pick up a win over this person, it means a lot. We know we have something here. Low-key banger, love using the term low-key banger. It just describes a card. So, like, if there's... Like, you look at UFC 276. There was Adesadi Kananir. There was Volkanovski, There was, was Pajeda, Strickland, Somali, Munoz, and some of the other fights. Those fights are all getting spotlight. These are the fights that everybody was talking about. Low-key banger is just an awesome fight that nobody's talking about. A fight that... Isn't getting enough love, but should be. I love low key bangers. Low key bangers are the best. These are fights that just fly under the radar that no one talks about. Um, so, the, those are those terms for sure. Um, low key banger. We just try to give, like, we try to be like AK knows, we try to be positive about these cards. And sometimes, these, especially these fight night cards, you look at them, they're very top heavy. Maybe it's a great main event, so then the rest of the card is kind of eh from a from a recognition standpoint when it comes to names and, and star power and stuff. But we try to find the needle in the haystack. We try to find those fights that deserve more shine that that just aren't getting them. So that's, that's why we use those terms.
9: Let's go to Chris Martin. Chris, how are you? Doing well, Mike. I have a couple questions for you. One, I was just thinking, is there any possibility that the UFC when we're coming off these weeks after a big pay-per-view instead of throwing this card that they've got this weekend where the main event is great but everything else is kind of garbo no offense to any of the fighters but the penultimate bout is two guys who have one fight each Jared Vandera and Chase Sherman are on the main card, and they're even putting Ricky Turkios in his first fight after winning the Ultimate Fighter on the dang prelims. Is there any possibility that they might consider doing something after a big pay-per-view where instead of a actual fight night, it's more like a contender series type thing? Like maybe just to highlight lower-level fighters or less experienced fighters because it's really hard to get excited for these cards like this. And the other question was, I was thinking about Daniel Rodriguez yesterday, and I'm just wondering if you've heard anything about what his next moves are going to be, because coming off the Kevin Lee fight, he had all this momentum. And then I know that he's dealt with some injuries and whatnot, but I feel like he's kind of lost his momentum because he was seeing, seen as a guy kind of on the come up, but he just hasn't been active. And I think that he's kind of gotten passed by by, guys like Sean Brady and Shavkat Rachmanov and other guys have just kind of taken the shine as the rising guys that are coming into the rankings. Thanks, buddy.
3: Yeah, um, I'll address the second thing in a moment. The first thing, no, they're not going to do that because they're getting that ESPN money, which is a lot of money, and they have to fulfill these obligations. So what I would like to see the UFC do a little bit more of is let's just mix it up a little bit. What I loved was around 3 years ago and you know this is the Boston bias speaking a little bit but UFC does a card in October of 2019 in Boston and it was on a Friday night. They did a Friday night card. It's okay. To do that once in a while. It's okay to do a Friday night card. You throw this you throw this card on a Friday. No, like who's gonna complain about that? It's a Friday night of fights. Like mix it up a little bit. I mean the card's not it's fine. Like Kyle Baraglio is now getting back-to-back combing events or uh second to last fights. We'll get AK's take on that on the preview show, probably. But yet you, you get some good side DeMargo made up, Douglas Silva de Andrade is a great fight. The Vandera Sherman is just a UFC main card fight night special where we just throw two random heavyweights on a main card. Cynthia Calvillo Nina Nunes is a is is an interesting fight. Calvillo really needs a win. Michael Johnson Jamie Malarkey is going to be super fun. Tercio to make his debut against Eamon Zahabi. I mean, it's not bad. We've seen worse. David Onam is on the card. No, there's a lot of hype around him. He's fighting Garrett Armfield, who I've been high on for a long time. Just, they fought before. Armfield just jumping up to 145 for this fight. I know Armfield typically fights at bantamweight, especially at short notice. Not great. But Danny probably was a guy that was lined up for that call for quite some time. I mean, it is what it is. Ronnie Lawrence, Sidekub, Hakorovatov is going to be a sick fight. That's the low-key bang on this opening fight of the card but this deserves better than that. This probably should have been a main card fight. So I get where you're coming from, but they're not going to do that. Funny you mentioned Daniel Rodriguez. I actually spoke to Daniel Rodriguez in Las Vegas uh, right after the Hall of Fame red carpet. He actually drove from his house to meet me outside of the T-Mobile arena. And we did an interview outside T-Mobile. That's probably going to drop sometime this week. But I will say this. He is... He's had three hand surgeries because I spoke with him, I think in December or maybe it's like the right around like the first week of January. And he said that he was recovering from a hand surgery. He was hoping to be cleared, hoping to fight maybe in February, but the first surgery didn't take second surgery didn't take. So he had to get a third hand surgery, but he's cleared. He could take. So if the UFC offered him a fight right now, he could take it. So he's hoping maybe August back in there and, He's with all of you guys. He knows he's lost a little bit of momentum. He's seen what um Shavka and and some of these other guys, Sean Brady. He's seen with these guys. But D-Rod's cleared. He's back to training and is hoping to fight late summer, early fall. But that but you know, more more from D-Rod dropping soon. But that was that was a fun interview. It's always good. D-Rod and is uh his pitbull bulldog combination. Got to meet the dog, great dog. Uh, let's go to Vinny. Speaking of dogs, I see the dog is the uh, is the image here. Vinny, how are you, man? Hey, doing guy?
7: Uh, I'm doing good. Heck, in morning, how are you? Good. Hey, I uh, just wanted to touch real quick on the main event for this weekend. You think RDA is uh, actually gonna lose again uh, against VC? I mean, I know RDA's, I've been following him for a while, and he's a great wrestler, he's a great um, grappler. Vaseev uh, is also a great grappler but I, I don't know, I somehow give the edge to RDA, what do you think?
3: Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from Vinny I, I, you have to when you have fights like this, I'm curious what the betting lines are for this one, when you have fights like this I always tend to lean experience and I think this is I don't know if it's a 50-50 fight Vaseev's a big favorite, wow minus 210 Comeback back at RDA plus 180. I didn't think it would be that high. There's value on RDA in my opinion. For sure. At plus 180. Interesting. That's very interesting. It's, I I I think this fight's closer to 50-50 than that. So I I always try to lean experience. RDA's been in five round fights, he's been in title fights, he's been a champion. He does have the the wrestling and the jujitsu advantage against a guy like Fazeeb, but Fazeeb could strike his ass off. And again, I think this fight is going to go into the championship. That's where my questions are. How is Fazeeb going to handle round four? How is he going to handle round five? Slow down. We've seen him slow down in fights before. He looked good in his last fight against Brad Riddell. Looks like he kind of tightened some of that stuff up. But what happens in four and five? That's my... So I, t- I lean RDA in that sense, but Fazeev, man, he is exciting. He is fun. And this would be a gigantic win on the resume if he can get it done. So, yeah, I it's a good fight. It's a really good main event. It's exactly what you want. James. Then we'll go to... Tristan, then we'll go to Patrick. James is up. Heck of a good morning to you, Mike. Indeed. How I'm fine, you?
0: thanks. Um, I was looking at the card this weekend. I think there are several loser walks matchups on here. I was wondering if uh, you could maybe, I, and maybe you're uncomfortable doing this, but uh, could you maybe tell me who you think is most likely to be cut from the UFC roster after this weekend?
3: Hmm... Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan. I, I get where you're coming from. Um, let's see. I mean, you have to think. I don't know. It's tough because, like, Vandera and... You, you probably have to look to Vandera and Sherman. But it's also heavyweight. And you have a lot of spots to fill. And both those guys are, like... Both those guys will say yes to any fight. Like Chase Sherman on like days' notice was like, "Yeah, I'll fight Alexander Romanov." <laughs> like, who wants to fight that guy on twelve weeks' notice? Never mind, like four days' notice. And Chase will always say yes to those opportunities. So you kind of have to look at that one, I guess. Um, Calvillo Nunez, maybe, but I think there's some value with Calvillo. Enchichuku, Roberson, May, I don't know. There's there's some, I guess. I would say Traysha Gore is probably the situation. Yeah, I don't know. If if there's one that really stands out, it's probably the the heavyweight one, but maybe they get released, like the loser that maybe get they get released, but it wouldn't shock me if they're back like six months later stepping in on short notice against somebody. But, I don't know. You're right. Not my favorite question to answer. But I would say if we're we're just doing a quick peek at the card and and thinking about that topic, that's probably the fight I would look at. But, again, I wouldn't say there is never fighting in the UFC again. Maybe they just get released and very good chance they get brought back. Let's go to Tristan. Hi, Tristan. Hey,
8: Mike. How's everything?
3: Good. How are you? I'm
8: good. Um, I have two questions. Um, and the first question probably brings some clarity. Um, it was reported that uh, Jimmy Flick is coming back out of retirement after a year um, after a year. And um, uh, I know he's going to re-enter the USA testing pool, but he just comes back to the UFC and they just give him a fight. I, I wanted to know that how that works. Like, I guess since he won the contract for the Dana White contenders series, I guess automatically he just goes back to the UFC with no issue. So I just wanted to know about that, how that works. And then my second question, we have Saeed nomega versus Del Sova. And um, if 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 um, Saeed has another finish, spectacular finish like he did against Cody stamen is that at that point, does he get into the rankings, do you think, in the bantamweight division? Or he needs another fight because it's just it's so deep and, there's so many fighters it's going to be hard to pick and choose who's going to crack that top 15 so just your thoughts on that all right mike thanks man for everything
3: thanks buddy so the second question maybe maybe i don't know it's it's a deep division let me look at the uh let me look at the ufc rankings i don't think he'll make it in the rankings that truly matter the ma fighting is such movement. So right now they have... 15 fighters ranked right now. Uh, Umar Namago and, and Adrian Yanez are tied for 15. <sighs> I will say no for Saeed. It'll be close. He'll be knocking on the door. But I don't think he jumps Yanez. I certainly doesn't jump Umar. And then you got Jack Shore, Sean O'Malley, Frankie Edgar, Ricky Simone, who's fighting... Simone and Shore are fighting the the following week. So maybe not maybe not now. I don't think they'll immediately enter, but let's just say let's just say like Ricky Simone runs over Jack Shore in like two minutes, which I don't think is going to happen. That's gonna be a great fight. But let's just say Ricky Simone just destroys Jack Shore. Maybe Saeed jumps in the following week, but I don't think a win here or a quick finish gets him into the top 15 right away. The Jimmy Flick thing, Jimmy's under contract with the UFC. So it's not like Jimmy can just say, hey, I'm unretired. I'm going to go fight for Bellator. I'm going to go fight for BKFC or I'm going to go to one. He can't do that. He's under contract with the UFC. Now, the UFC has every right to just go ahead and release him. He could come back, enter the pool, and they could just be like, nah, we don't want you to go. But they're not going to do that. Jimmy had a flying triangle in his first UFC fight against a really tough guy. So I think they're probably thrilled. It's a nice boost for the 125-pound division. Now, I don't know what is – I kind of know off record why he's coming back, but I'll let him share that when he's ready, which, by the way, I'm talking to him in like an hour and a half. Uh, It will be a podcast-only interview, but it's going to drop today. So that interview is going to end. I'm going to produce it, edit it, and then I'm going to put it right up on the podcast network. So you will hear that interview today um, on our network. And we'll try to get the actual article written and done today as well. uh, Insight why he's coming back. But he is coming back. He's supposedly entering the pool today. But again, I'll find out more in about an hour and a half when I actually speak with him. But I mean, this is this is a good thing, isn't it? This is a nice boost for the division. He's a guy that a lot of people are very excited about. So we'll see. All right, we are going to go to Patrick, and then we're going to wrap up because I got people coming over to the house to help out with Command Center 4.0, some appointments for some flooring, maybe some air conditioning in the new Command Center. So we got a lot going on in the Heck Household. Patrick, what's up, buddy?
10: Mike. Patrick. Uh, Good Good job, man. International fight week. How was, uh, how was the Vegas experience? Like just overall? Uh, it was very Vegasy. It was fun. I, uh,
3: I got to basically experience Vegas in one night. So like I walked around the strip. Jose kind of showed me around a little bit. And then we went to Fremont, which was just crazy. I was like, where the hell am I? Um, And then we went to Ariel's meetup and met some people that I've talked to from afar, but never actually like met in person, met some of the peeps. It was a, it was a good time, man. It was a good time.
10: Nice. Well, I got this little, um, I got this little journey with, uh, with your career. And it's like, you came to MMA fighting, you really started building out the podcast networks. You just racking up win after win after win you went on this crazy streak. Then, you know, you had what the heck. It was a little too similar to the Ariel show. Ariel came back in, I think, you know, probably first round submission. You know, so you had a little bit of a step back. But then you started heck of the morning. It's amazing. You know, you're back on that winning streak. You're on the cusp of the top five, right? You just broke back in the top ten of the MMA reporters. And then, Bam Bam Baklava called you out by name on the street in Vegas and just rocketed you into the top five. You're like top three MMA reporters in my book after that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, my, my second follow-up to that is, what was better, Bam Bam Bakava calling you out by name on the street in Vegas, or um, I forgot the event that they used your voice in the official promo. Was it Masvidal Usman? Yes. Yes. Dude, when they, when they when I heard your voice and you're like enter Jorge Masvidal and it was like the beginning of the promo, which one was better?
3: Ooh, it's a good question. That's a good question. Um I would say, thank you Patrick. I would say Mhm. Personally getting the action Bronson shout out was pretty cool. But from a like people reached out to me and was like, wow, kind of a thing. It was definitely the, uh, being the open Usman all promo for sure. Uh what a weird, yeah, not weird, but what a, what a great insight into my MMA fighting. Let me just say about what the heck in, in the MMA hour. No one from MMA fighting was like, what the heck is dead? No one said that to me. I was told that I could keep it if I wanted to. I step. I I actually stopped it on my own because I'm uh, listen. Ariel coming over was a was huge for the website. It was massive. So why would I try to do the same thing he's doing? You know what I mean? It worked out great because I come over. I just sort of filled the gap. I had no idea Ariel was coming back. So when Ariel comes back, this is great for all of us. This is great for everybody. So. I've always found a way to pivot to find like evolve. Like I tried, we got next, which is some of the low key fighters that aren't getting enough love. And that was fun. Like I still got to do interviews and stuff like that, but again, just became a lot. And I actually liked this idea better of just talking to you guys and you gals and just doing sort of a morning show feel because this is something that MMA as a whole is just missing. And I wanted to fill that gap, so yeah, it's it is what it is. I'm I'm again so I'm thrilled how how long he's back. We get the freaking MMA hour. I grew. I mean, the MMA hour helped increase my my fanhood. Like I really got into the sport. Like I really got into covering the sport because of that show. It was such a an important thing for me as as a journalist and just learning different things uh, about the industry because I didn't go to journalism school. Like I didn't do that. I, I learned a lot about journalism show and t- talking about different things o- about journalism. What's the right way to do things. What's the wrong way to do things like just a, an amazing show, huge. I'm so glad that it's back and there's room for everybody to do what they want to do. And that was one of the things that one of the reasons I love working for it, it being a part of this website is that when this, when this news is told to us, I had people literally reaching out to me saying, Oh my God, what's going to happen? Are they going to fire you? And I'm like, I hope not. I don't think so. But it also led to my bosses, managers, et cetera, saying like, Hey, if there's something you've always wanted to do, now's the time. Now's the time to do it. And here we are. I got to produce two of those, um, You know, audio docs that I did with uh, the fighter that got shot and and paralyzed, who's trying to come back, going with Elena Kolesnik. Like, I get to do all these different things. Like, and I'm going to cover more events. Like, this worked out great for me. This worked out great for me. All right, we'll take two more real quick. James, hello. Hey, good morning, Mike.
8: Hey, buddy. Hey, I wondered if you had anything on Roberto Silvic if he's staying with KSW or if he's finally making the jump over to a uh, UFC. And if he does, uh, what first fight would you love to see him in? Like, I mean, obviously, present they and him, that would be a banger for sure. And, um, but the whole Sean O'Malley, Pedro Munoz thing, I mean, I know there's no shame in the UFC game, but if, um, if they decide to do the rematch, can you see him doing that as a fight night? Or do you think they're going to, make us pay 75 bucks again to see that. And I don't know what the kind of fight told me of what ceiling Sean O'Malley has. Like, I know his striking is great.
9: Up, up.
3: Yeah, we lost you, James. We lost you, buddy. Uh, but I think I kind of got the gist of what we're, what we're, what we're trying to do here. Um, Sold each is still a mystery. I have no idea. I have reached out and asked about it. Uh, I don't really know. I don't really know. I think he's got offers from pretty much everybody. Uh, I don't think his contract with KSW is up yet. So either way, he I think he's got like another 10 days or so before his contract expires. From what I understand, KSW offered him a lot of money. Like, crazy money. And he told me in the past that if he was going to walk into his KSW renegotiation meeting with his management, and if they met, he was going to throw out a number, and if they matched the number, he was going to stay. And who knows? I would have thought by... He's he's a coveted free agent right now. He's a he's a highly coveted free agent. So if I'm him, I'm milking this to the very end myself. I would be stunned. I would actually be su- I'd be pretty surprised if he left KSW because he's been. I spoke with him. You can go back into the archives of the podcast network and check it out. I spoke with him about it. What means more to him? Money means quite a bit because he wants to have. He wants to have a life outside of fighting. And he wants to have money to do that. So KSW, from what I understand, is offering ridiculous money. How much legacy factors in, I'm not really sure. But I would actually be shocked if he doesn't stay with KSW. But if he goes to the UFC, I love the Vicente Luque fight. Yeah, and I agree with you. One of the worst parts about this O'Malley-Munoz thing is we didn't learn anything. We learned very little. So if they do run it back... Mm, will definitely be on pay-per-view I'm sure they'll throw it on a pay-per-view but if they want to do a fight night main event sure but it will not be a fight night main event at the apex it'll be something in front of a crowd maybe they go back to Arizona they do like a fight night in Phoenix or something uh, somewhere near where O'Malley lives make him kind of the hometown guy and maybe they do that but I would my guess if forced to choose probably be a pay-per-view all right, Ahmad, take us home, buddy, because I got to get out of here. Ahmad, do we have you?
7: Three, two, one.
3: All right, it's not working. Ahmad, call tomorrow. We'll get you in. So we'll get Derrico in here to close the show. Perhaps,
0: if we can get him on. There. Hey, Mike. Heck of a morning. How you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm good. So, me and my friends were talking after Saturday, and I was trying to make an argument how Izzy could potentially be considered more dominant than Khabib. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but I just feel like Izzy won on Saturday without giving max effort and when Khabib is winning five rounds you know he's putting out max effort I was just wondering if you think you can make an argument for Izzy being more dominant than Khabib
3: hmm. no because I mean I get where you're coming from like we're looking at it from two different styles but two rounds like his entire UFC run he lost a round to Conor maybe three rounds, he lost a round. And then like towards the end of his career, he lost a round to Connor and then he lost a round to Justin Gaethje and two of the judges scorecards. But and a lot of people would feel like, a lot of people feel like Habib won that first round. So I, I mean, I think it's a little bit of a stretch, but I'm not, I'm not going to blame you for that, for that take. Like it's, it's things we ponder in this sport. There's, there's always comparisons. There's always ponder. I just think like Habib, like, Adesanya, like, lost, at least on two of the judges' cards, he lost a round. It was very rare that Habib lost any rounds. And Adesanya has been in some, some some close fights. Like, the Whitaker fight, especially, was real close. There are a lot of people who I still talk to today who still feel like Whitaker won that fight. Yo, Romero, close fight. Calvin Gastelum, close fight. Habib didn't have close fights. He just, he had one, like, kind of close fight early in his career, but... The last ten fights or so, I mean, this dude is just running people over. This is dominance, like just incredible dominance. So I, I, I like, I like, I like where your heads at, but kind of a reach in my eyes. It just, Habib was just utterly dominant. He didn't lose rounds. Fights weren't even close. It was just pure domination. It was either a miserable experience for the opponent, or he just finished them quick. So I, I can't say it's the same, or you can say Adesanya is just as, if not more. But, yeah, Habib's definitely more dominant, but I, I, I like where your head's at. We're, we're thinking outside the box, and I can never shame anybody for that. All right, I got to get out of here. A lot going on at the Heck Club's hold. Uh, BTL going down later today. It's just going to be a roundtable show. Myself, Jed Mishu, these are my favorite types of shows. We did do a show last week, so me and Jed are basically just going to hit record and go and just talk. And usually that's when the most fun happens. So 3 p.m. Eastern, you can watch it live on the MA Fighting YouTube channel. I will be talking to Jimmy Flick in about an hour and a half. Once that is done, I will edit it. I will post it on the podcast network so you guys can hear that as soon as possible. And then I'll also be working on some of the Radio Row interviews that haven't seen the light of day yet. For example, Kevin Holland, Anthony Smith, uh, and Jacek, Jamal Hill, Uh, there's a whole bunch of others. There's a whole bunch. The Daniel Rodriguez interview from outside T-Mobile. Lots of stuff we'll be working on. So content for days. And we'll be back here again tomorrow, 10 a.m. Eastern, right here on the MMA Fighting Twitter Spaces. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great rest of the day. And as always, have a heck of a morning.
1: The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. In New York, call 877-HOPENY or text HOPENY467369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit CCPG.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and over. Age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no sweat bet per new customer. Issued as one bonus bet based on the amount of initial. Losing bet. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co/bball for eligibility, wagering, and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources.
2: Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything, and now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze, and now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So, how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? with SAS Viya, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at SAS.com V-I-Y-A.